Hello everyone, Wisteria here. Welcome back to my podcast and the art of seduction, of course, we're still on the siren. But we're now going to look at dangers regarding the siren, what would lead her to danger. No matter how enlightened the age, no woman can maintain the image of being devoted to pleasure completely comfortably. And no matter how hard she tries to distance herself from it, the taint of being easy always follows the siren. Cleopatra was hated in Rome as the Egyptian whore. That hatred eventually led to a downfall. As Octavius and the Roman army sought to extirpate the stain on Roman manhood that she came to represent. Even so, men are often forgiving when it comes to the siren's reputation. But danger often lies in the envy she stirs up among other women. Much of Rome's hatred for Cleopatra originated in the resentment she provoked among the city's stern matrons. By playing up her innocence, by making herself seem the victim of male desire, the siren can somewhat blunt the effects of feminine envy. But on the whole, there is little she can do. Her power comes from the effect on men, and she must learn to accept or ignore the envy of other women. Finally, the intense attention that the siren attracts can prove irritating and worse. Sometimes she will pine for relief from it. Sometimes, too, she will want to attract an attention that is not sexual. Also, unfortunately, physical beauty fades. Although the siren effect depends not on a beautiful face, but on an overall impression. Past certain age, that impression gets hard to project. Both of these factors contributed to the suicide of Mallory Monroe. It takes a genius on a level of Madame de Pompadour, the siren's mistress of King Louis. Mm. And that will have been the 15th or 25th. To make the transition into the role of the spirited older women, comes to seduce with her non-physical charms. Cleopatra had such an intellect and had she lived long enough she would have remained a potent seductress for many years. The siren must prepare for age by paying attention early on the more psychological, less physical forms of cookery. That can continue to bring her power once her beauty starts to fade. And the next we're on is going to revisit the rake. So the rake is different from the siren. A woman never feels quite desired, remember. She wants attention, but a man is too often distracted, unresponsive. The rake is a great female fantasy figure when he desires a woman, brief though that moment may be. It will go to the ends of earth for her. It may be disloyal, dishonest and immoral. But that only adds to the appeal. Unlike the normal cautious male, the rake is delightfully unrestrained. A slave to his love of women. There is the added lure of reputation. So many women have succumbed to him. There has to be a reason. Words are a woman's weakness. And the rake is a master of seductive language. Stir a woman's repressed longings to be 
adapted by the rake's mix of danger and pleasure. So the rake is the masculine version, more or less, of the siren, I suppose. So the ardent rake for the court of this was Louis the Sixteenth. Um, the king's last years were gloomy, and he was old, and had become both unsufferably religious and personally unpleasant. The court was bored and desperate for novelty, so in seventeen ten, the arrival of a fifteen-year-old lad who was both devilishly handsome and charming had a particularly strong effect on the ladies. His name was Fronsac, the future Duc de Richelieu, the grand uncle being the infamous Cardinal Richelieu. He was impudent and witty. The ladies would play with him like a toy, but he would kiss them on the lips in return, his hands wandering far for the unexperienced boy. When those hands strayed up the skirts of a duchess, who was not so indulgent, the king was furious, and sent the youth to Bastille to teach him a lesson. But the ladies who had found him so amusing could not endure his absence. Compared to the stiffs in court, he was someone incredibly bold, his eyes boring into you, his hands quicker than was safe. Nothing could stop him, his novelty and his irresistibility. The court ladies pleaded, and his stay in Bastille was cut short. After an accident at sea, Don Juan finds himself washed up on a beach, where he is discovered by a young woman. Tis Bia, wake up, handsomest of all men, and be yourself again, Don Juan. If the sea gives me death, you give me life, but the sea really saved me only to be killed by you, or the sea tosses me. From one torment to the other, for I no sooner pulled myself from the water than I met this siren yourself. Why fill my ears with wax, since you kill me with your eyes? I was dying in the sea, but from today I shall die of love. Tis, Bia, you have abundant breath for a man almost drowned. You suffered much, but who knows what suffering you are preparing for me? I found you at my feet, all water, and now you are all fire. If you burn when you are so wet, what will you do when you dry again? You promise a scorching flame. I hope to God you're not lying, Don Juan. Dear girl, God should have drowned me before I could be charred by you. Perhaps love was wise to drench me before. I felt your scalding touch. But your fire is such that even in water I burn, tis beer. So cold and yet so burning, Don Juan. So much fiery tis you, tis beer. How well you talk, Don Juan, how well you understand, tis beer. I hope to God you're not lying. Terso di Molina, the player of Sybil, that was translated by Adrian Schizano and Oscar Mandel. Several years later, the young Mademoiselle de Valois was walking in Paris Park with a chaperone, an old woman who never left her side. De Valois's father, the Duke of Orleans, was determined to protect her. 
his youngest daughter, from all the court seducers, until she could be married off. So he had attached to her the chaperone, a woman of impeccable virtue and sourness. In the park, however, de Boulet saw a young man who gave her a look that set her heart on fire. He walked on by, but the look was intense and clear. It was her chaperone who told her his name, the now infamous Duke de Richelieu, blasphemer, seducer, heartbreaker, someone to avoid at all costs. A few days later, the chaperone took Divalos to a different park, and lo and behold, Richelieu crossed their path again. This time, he was in disguise, dressed as a beggar, but the look in his eye was unforgettable. Mademoiselle Divalos returned his gaze, and at last something exciting in a drab life. Given her father's sternness, no man had dared approach her, and now this notorious courtier was pursuing her. Instead of all the other ladies at court, what a thrill! Soon he was smuggling beautifully written notes to her, expressing his uncontrollable desire for her, and she responded, timidly. But soon the notes were all she was living for. In one of them he promised to arrange everything if she would spend the night with him, imagining it was impossible to bring such a thing to pass. She did not mind playing along and agreeing to his bald proposal. Mademoiselle de Velours had a chambermaid named Angelique, who dressed her for bed and slept in the adjoining room. One night, as the chaperone was knitting, de Volaire looked up from the book that she was reading to see Angelique carrying her mistress's nightclothes to a room. But for some strange reason, Angelique looked back at her and smiled. It was Richelet, expertly dressed as a maid. Divolet nearly gasped from fright, but caught herself, realising the danger she was in. And if she had anything, her family would find out about the notes and about her part in the whole affair. What could she do? She decided to go to her room and talk to the young duke out of his ridiculous dangerous manoeuvre. She said good night to her chaperone, but once she was in a bedroom, the words she had planned were useless. When she tried to reason with Richelieu, he responded with that look in his eye, and then with his arms around her. She could not yell, but now she wasn't sure what to do. His impetuous words, his caresses, the danger of it all, her head was whirling, and she was lost. What was virtue and a prior boredom compared to an evening with the court's most notorious rake. So while the chaperone knitted away, the duke, the duke initiated her into the rituals of libertinage. Months later, Divola's father had reason for suspect that Richelieu had broken, yes, through his lines of defence. The chaperone was fired. The precautions were doubled. Diolise did not realise that to Richelieu such measures were a challenge, and he lived for challenges. He bought the house next door under an assumed name and secretly tunnelled a trapdoor through the walls, adjoining the Duke's kitchen cupboard. In this cupboard, over the next few months, until the novelty wore off, 
Devalo and Richelo enjoyed endless trees. Hmm. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about a rake, of course. Um, we're talking about that kind of guy that prefers a chase. And then when the newness wears off, he's not really interested anymore. And he does one, <laughs> basically, anyway. It's kind of like that. But we'll continue with the rake when we come back. And check out to see if there's any more stories to add to it. Interesting ones indeed. But yes, that is a rake. The rake is a man version of a siren and he likes a chase. And um, he's very bold. But once he's gotten what he wants and he's played with it a while, then he's very bored. And he moves on. Many blessings.